Well, if you have your Bibles, and we hope you do, go ahead and make their, your way there into Daniel chapter 2, please. Daniel chapter 2. Well, in our last time together, we discussed the concept of the new world order. And as we said last week, for many here in America, this term became very well known because of a speech that George H.W. Bush Sr. gave in 1990 after the uh, Iraq invasion of Kuwait and the resistance that we then set with the United Nations to push uh, Iraq back out of the nation of Kuwait. And he said that this would then afford an opportunity for the UN to bring about a new world order. And ever since that, many who are students of Bible prophecy, they have a tendency to now designate the prophecy that indicates that in the time of Jesus Christ, a one world government will govern the entire earth. And the prophecy more specifically specifies that this government will not be of one nation, but a uh, conglomerate of ten nations. And out of those ten nations, the Bible further tells us in Daniel chapter 7, the rise of the Antichrist will come. And this one world uh, government has often been associated and paralleled in the minds and the hearts of many Christians as the New World Order. Now, as we have seen in the last year, the probability of such an event, I think, has increased exponentially. And I'm going to demonstrate that this morning. As we continue our series this morning, What in the World is Going On?, one of the concerns that I have is that I believe that we are closer than ever before to the emergence of this one world government. Now, when I mean close, what do I mean? Do I mean a decade, 20 years? I think that it is very probable in the next 20 to 30 years that such an event takes place. And I'll explain why I feel that in later in a later in this message. Let us begin by reading in Daniel chapter 2 the song that Daniel offered God when God revealed to him the answer to his prayer. And within this song that he sings, we notice and learn a lot about God's involvement in the nations of the world. And in verse 20 of chapter 2, Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, for wisdom and might are His. And He changes the times and the seasons. He removes kings and raises up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and secret things. He knows what is the what is in the darkness, and light dwells in him. I thank you, 
and praise you, O God of my fathers. You have given me wisdom and might, and have now made known to me what we asked of you, for you have made known to us the king's demand. In Daniel chapter 2, King Nebuchadnezzar has a dream, a dream that plagues him at night. He realizes that the dream is significant, it's important, but he does not know the interpretation of it. So the first thing that we saw that Nebuchadnezzar did was call all the wise men of Babylon to him and demand that they not only tell him the interpretation of the dream, but they also tell him the dream itself. They immediately admitted their limitations and their inability to do so. And so Nebuchadnezzar became incredibly frustrated with his advisors. These advisors were soothsayers and uh, individuals, um, sorcerers and the Chaldeans and so forth. Because as Babylon captured various uh, countries and nations, they would take the wisest and the brightest from those nations and make them part of the king's inner council so that he may glean from whatever knowledge and wisdom that they had, including when they invaded Israel, Judah more specifically. And in that invasion of Judah and the captivity of the Jewish people, there was a young man at 14 years old named Daniel who was then swept up in this. And being one of the brightest and most in- and more intelligent of the uh, people, he was quickly brought into the king's uh, training program so that one day he may become a counselor to the king. And the limitations of his current counselors angered the king. They simply wanted to give an interpretation, but King Nebuchadnezzar couldn't be certain of that interpretation unless he was also given the dream also. So Nebuchadnezzar then gave an edict that all of his wise men were to die and to be put to death by Arioch. And Arioch, as he was going about looking for these wise men to execute them, he came across Daniel, who he had a previous relationship with. And Daniel said, what is the urgency of this edict? Why is the king so steadfast on killing off all of his counselors? And Arioch told him why. Daniel then asked for a moment of time that he could petition his God and therefore be able to give the king what he had desired, not only the interpretation, but the dream itself. So Daniel with his three friends went and petitioned God in prayer and God revealed to them the secrets of the dream in which Nebuchadnezzar had and also the content of the dream itself. And we read how Daniel then praised God. And Daniel knew that God was sovereign over all the governmental affairs of this world. And now we rejoined Daniel as he is now to be brought before the king to reveal the dream to the king and also its interpretation. From this dream, the prophetic understanding of a one world government during the last days prior to the return of Jesus Christ is established. And we're going to look 
at the world around us today and see if the probability of such an event has increased over the course of this last year. So let us begin in verse 24. Therefore Daniel went to Arioch, whom the king had appointed to destroy the wise men of Babylon, and he went and said thus to him, Do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. Take me before the king, and I will tell the king the interpretation. And then Arioch quickly brought Daniel before him, the king that is, and said thus to him, I have found a man of the captives of Judah, who will make known to the king the interpretation. The king answered and said to Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, Are you able to make known to me the dream which I have seen and its interpretation? And Daniel answered in the presence of the king and said, The secret which the king has demanded, the wise men, the astrologers, the magicians, and the soothsayers cannot declare to the king. But, I love this, there is a God in heaven who reveals secrets and he has made known to the king, uh, known to King Nebuchadnezzar, what will be in the latter days. Your dream and the visions of your head upon your bed were these. This is where I think grammatically Daniel borrowed from Dr. Seuss. The dreams of your head upon your bed. It's amazing how often we read through the New Testament. I'm sorry, the Old Testament, and discover how God often brings the wisdom of this world to an end before he shows himself strong. Here again, just like the priests in the time that Moses delivered the children of Israel out of Egypt were brought to their limitations, here too we find the counselors brought to their limitations. They couldn't do what only God can do. I sure wish that this was a lesson that the United States of America would once again realize. That as wise and as intelligent in the affairs of this world men and women may be, there are still things that only God can do. And we have to be humble enough to recognize our limitations. We have to be willing to accept the Uh, fact that there are just things that we do not know. And as a result, often what gets us into dire uh, difficulty is when our pride takes over at these moments, where we are unwilling to say to ourselves, we don't have the best answer for our society. We don't have the best answer for the people. We need to rely on a higher source of wisdom. And I think that it is interesting that more and more people now see the limitations of the brightest and most intellectual people of our world. And they are brilliant. I I give them that. They are brilliant. But they still have limitations to their brilliance. Even though what we are doing in technology and in science and in biology is fascinating, we know that we still have a long way to go before we truly understand God's creation as thoroughly, of course, as He does, and we'll never get to that point, will we? 
But we have seen clearly in the last 10 months that even the wisest people in a particular field can come to their personal limitations. We have seen that the wisest people in their particular fields can also be corrupted, can they not? By a political agenda, unfortunately. When the American people needed it the most clear, reasonable, common sense directive, we were jerked back and forth by these entities and individuals to the point now where the American people just simply don't know who to believe any longer. King Nebuchadnezzar was right in challenging his wise men. He knew that what he had revealed to him was too significant to leave to their you know, subjected um, interpretations. He needed to know for sure that they had the supernatural ability to discern and to interpret the dream, and they weren't able to do so in the methodologies in which they brought forward, which set up God to bring this young man before the king with the, not only the interpretation, but the reveal of the dream in which Nebuchadnezzar had had. After 33 years of walking with the Lord, one of the great certainties that I have now come to is that He is God and I am not. And His ways are certainly higher than my ways. His understanding is leaps and bounds from where mine will ever be. And of course, Whatever wisdom of the world is offered, it is mere foolishness to the God of all heaven. And in times like this, it is of necessity that we turn back to what we know about God and stand securely and with certainty upon those things. During troubled times like the times in which we find ourselves, it's imperative that we do not abandon what we know to be true and adopt those things that we don't know to be true. One of the concerns that I have had in the last 10 months, and maybe some of you are aware of this, is that many Christians, instead of turning to their Bibles, seeking the heart and the mind of God and His wisdom, reminding themselves of the character of God and who He is and the sovereignty in which He sits in, unfortunately have turned to sources like YouTube. And I am absolutely amazed at the number of Christians who are trolling through YouTube looking for Christians who have had dreams about the future hoping to understand and to gain insight. And these individuals, sometimes they claim their dreams are from God. Other times they say, we don't know if these dreams are from God and so forth. But videos that have been put up just a month have already experienced over 1.5 million hits. Some of the dreams have already seen not to come true. I think it's very dangerous, again, when a person abandons what they know to be true and embraces and adopts what they don't know to be true. Some of the comments underneath these videos of individuals having various dreams, visions, and of course, they all contradict each other. 
They all state that things are going to happen in certain months and then they don't happen. You know, there was a, a, a tragedy supposed to come about in September and the closest thing that I discovered was that the Chipotle closest to me closed. Um, I'm, uh, and, you know, so let us be very skeptical of these things. But people are adopting these dreams and visions, which are given in complete ambiguity. Okay. And the people have no idea of really what it means. Some of them say that we are headed into 2021, which is going to bring about the greatest revival. Others say 2021 is going to bring about the greatest judgment, and so forth. And so uh, it's clear that they don't know. But my question is, Why would you ever go to YouTube when you can open up God's Word? And He may not tell you the specifics, but He tells us enough to sustain us in our times of uncertainty, doesn't He? He renews our confidence, not in and of ourselves and not in the world, but in Him. He reminds us that all things are in, in His control. And what appears to be chaotic and out of control and, and dire in his mind is probably one step in the process of bringing about his ultimate fulfillments. We need to turn back to God's Word. We need to turn back to prayer. We need to once again understand the God in whom we serve and follow. Not consulting these other things as a th- as uh, vehicles of authority. But let us be very careful that what we do, we compare everything to the Scripture in which God has given us. So now Daniel is standing before the king. The inability of his personal counselors has now been discovered. And Daniel says, your dream and the vision of your head upon your bed were these. Verse 29. As for you, O king, thoughts came to your mind while on your bed about what would come to pass after this. He wanted to know about the future. And he, that is God, who reveals secrets, has made known to you what it will be. So what Nebuchadnezzar has experienced was from God but Nebuchadnezzar didn't know what that was or what it meant. But as for me, this secret has not been revealed to me because I have more wisdom than anyone living. But for our sake, who makes known the interpretation to the king, and that you may know the thoughts of your heart. It's not me, Daniel's saying. It's not because I'm better than anybody else. It's simply because God wants to reveal to you the truth. Daniel's humility is something to be inspired by. And in verse 31, You, O king, were watching, and behold, a great image. The great image whose splendor was excellent stood before you, and its form was awesome the image had a head was of fine gold its chest and arms of silver its belly and thighs of bronze so he sees a statue and the various levels of the statue 
are various different metals. Its legs of iron, and its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. You watched while a stone was cut out without hands, who struck the image on its feet of iron and clay, and broke them in pieces. And the iron and the clay, the bronze and the silver, and the gold were crushed together and became like shaft from the summer's threshing floor. The wind carried them away, so that no trace of them was found. And the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and fulfilled the whole earth. So what you have seen, King Nebuchadnezzar, is this. You've seen a statue, head of gold, chest of silver, thighs of bronze, legs of iron, feet of iron and clay. Daniel will now give us the interpretation, but he has accurately described the dream to King Nebuchadnezzar. The city of Babylon was filled with statues. It would have been an image that King Nebuchadnezzar was all too accustomed to. And often, even the sculptors of the various images there in Babylon would use different material to possibly communicate different elements of that pagan deity. For example, in some statues, they would use different materials to remember that during this year, the deity was kind to us, but then in this year, the deity was uh, uh, harsher to us, and so they would use a, uh, an undesirable material to remind them of the harshness of that God in hopes that that God would be you know, worshipped once again properly. So this was a common image for Nebuchadnezzar to see. But in this case, this image was used to describe to Nebuchadnezzar what would take place after him. And we're going to find out that various kingdoms are represented in the silver, the bronze, the iron, and the iron and clay mixed together. At that point, a stone hits the statue, it comes crumbling down, it is brought to absolute nothingness, and the stone which hit the foot of the statue then became a great mountain, showing that in its place, in the statue's place, this stone then took authority from the kingdoms of the statue. So in verse 36... This is the dream. Now we will tell the interpretation of it before the king. You, O king, are the king of kings. For the God of heaven has given you a kingdom, power, strength, and glory. And wherever the children of men dwell, or the beasts of the field and the birds of the heavens, uh, he has given them into your hand, and he has made you ruler over all of them. You are this head of gold. So the Babylonian kingdom is represented in the head of gold. But notice the language in which Daniel uses here. The only reason Nebuchadnezzar occupies that position is because of what? Because of who? Shout it out. God. 
The only reason that Nebuchadnezzar is in that position is because of God. Let us remember what he said in his song, that he that is God removes kings and raises up kings. But now, undoubtedly, Nebuchadnezzar is interested to see what would follow. So, he continues in verse 39. But after you shall arise another kingdom. Now, it's inferior to yours. Then another, a third kingdom of bronze, which shall rule over all the earth. And the fourth kingdom shall be as strong as iron, inasmuch as iron breaks in pieces and shatters everything. And like iron that crushes, that kingdom will break in pieces and will crush all others. Later we'll discover that, of course, Babylon was succeeded by the Medes and the Persians. At that time... Daniel began to pray and ask God about the release of the Jewish people because that was going to be an indicator that the people of Israel, people of Judah, were once again going to be able to return to their land when the Babylonian Empire had been succeeded. After, of course, the uh, the Medes and the Persians, Alexander the Great and the Grecian Empire arose from the Medes and the Persians. After that, of course, the legs of iron represent the Roman Empire. These are later described in Daniel 7 and in the book of Revelation. And you see the incredible uh, prophetic significance of this. He is talking about the ruling empires over a time and period that the nation of Israel is subjected to their authority. Israel was subjected to the authority of Babylon. Israel was subjected to the authority of the Medes and Persians, to the Greeks, and also, of course, to the Romans. The last kingdom is represented by its feet, and more specifically, its ten toes, which we'll see in a moment. These ten toes will represent ten nations that will come together in the last days at the time of the return of Jesus Christ. How do you know this? Well, we'll see this in just a moment, but also Daniel chapter 7 tells us clearly of the Messiah's coming during this time. Out of these ten toes, Daniel 7 tells us there will be Ten horns, and the, ru- the word horn there is used for one in authority, describing a king. And out of those ten kings, one more shall come. And in his, as he comes to authority, three of the original ten are then destroyed by him. And this eleventh horn is the rise of the Antichrist, which Daniel then goes on to explain, and you can see that for yourself as the book develops. So let us see now what he says about these feet. Verse 41. Whereas you saw the feet and toes partially of potter's clay and partially of iron, the kingdom shall be divided, yet its strength of iron shall be in it, just as you saw the iron mixed in with the ceramic clay. 
Biblical scholars believe that these ten nations will have one time been part of the Roman Empire. And in them, the strength of the Roman Empire will once again be displayed throughout the world. However, though, since it is not an individual nation with an individual emperor, there's a fragility to these ten toes. And as a result, they will carry with it a certain degree of um, insecurity. Notice in verse 42. And as the toes of the feet were partially of iron and partially of clay, so the kingdom shall be strong and partially fragile. And that word fragile could also mean brittle. Meaning the holding of it together is going to be tenuous. It's going to be difficult to keep the ten nations in control together. We have seen over the years many different regions of our world try to bring about the continents in a uh, variety of different unions. Of course, we saw the European Union, which is now fracturing, of course, with Brit X and so forth. And the reason being is that the, Britain, the British people no longer wanted to be subjugated to rules and laws and taxes, that they had no voice in uh, demonstrating their opposition to. They didn't have a voice in the process. Interesting, they're leaving the EU for the same reason we left them. It's interesting. Chew on that for a minute. Um, that being said, the African Union tried to come about, but it was so unstable that they really couldn't unify it in the way they wanted it to. These unions are brittle because you're trying to build a consensus with nations, peoples, and ideas, and ideologies, and religions that absolutely do not uh, come together neatly and quietly. There's always difficulties holding them together. That's why the rise of the Antichrist will be so supernatural, because he'll be able to do what no other world leader has ever been able to do. And in verse 43, As you saw iron mixed with ceramic clay, they will mingle with the seed of men, but they will not adhere to one another, just as iron does not mix with clay. And in the days of these things, of these kings, excuse me, now we see that they're clearly kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed, and the kingdom shall not be left to another people. It shall break in pieces and consume all of these kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. Now this is consistent with the understanding that at Revelation 19, Jesus returns and in Revelation 20 sends, sets up an earthly kingdom that we call the Millennial Kingdom. And I believe that's what's being spoken of here. That Jesus Himself will displace the human governments of the world with Himself. And that prayer that we have prayed earnestly over and over and over again, Thy kingdom come, will finally have been fulfilled. And this is the dream. This is what 
King Nebuchadnezzar saw. This is what Daniel interprets to him. And as we read from the very beginning in verse 28, this dream was for the latter days, or in our vernacular, the last days. And verse 45, And inasmuch you have saw the stone was cut out of the mountain without hands, and that it broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold. The great God has made known to the king what will come to pass after this. The dream is certain, and its interpretation is sure. We as biblical Christians should then be willing to accept the idea that in God's sovereign plan for this world, at the time of the return of Jesus Christ, the world will be governed by a one-world governing uh, faction of ten nations, and through these ten, the rise of the Antichrist will come. Now, where Christians get in trouble is not understanding the prophecy, but trying to determine how God will bring the, this unification about. And this has been going on for decades, ever since Hal Lindsey wrote a book in the 1970s called The Late Great Planet Earth. And of course, followed up by the Left Behind series written in the 90s and 2000s. There are many possibilities at how a world can be united together under a one world government. And this has been going on for a very long time. The question is, not which vehicle in which God will use to unify the, the world, but the trend of the probability of the world being united under a one-world government. I think it is clear that the trend clearly indicates that that's exactly where we are going. And in the last 10 months, we have seen things that would contribute to the hastening of that process. Now, this all began years ago when Al Gore came out with a, of course, a video called The Inconvenient Truth about global warming, right? The world rallied together because we had to stop you know, climate change because it was going to destroy the world within 12 years. I've been hearing that over the last 24 years, I think. And of course, just last year, we had Greta Thurman come to the forefront, rebuking all of us for ruining her childhood. But of course, the world came together in what was known as the World Meteorology Association, Organization, and they put forth this dynamic worldwide plan to counter climate change. The problem is, is that when they implemented these things, not all of the countries of the world were willing to participate because it meant drastically changing the economics of many of those countries, specifically China. Specifically China. Because, of course, they, are, they were in a growth spurt at this time uh, economically, and there was no way that they were going to hinder their manufacturing section, uh, sector by these implementations. So when we started to see that the world wasn't going to unify under 
uh, climate change, even though they're still pushing for it. And I think, again, we've heard that 12, we have 12 more years. And this is you know, uh, now creating the need for the, the, the Green New Deal. Um, wow, is that a bad idea? Um, and so forth. Then the f- emphasis, of course, came to globalization. We have to be more united globally, right? Countries shifting their economic layouts and placing things in different areas of the world. If it's cheaper to manufacture over here, we'll manufacture over here. If it's more convenient to do it here, we'll do it there and so forth. And globalization became the big talking point. Joe Biden wants to continue this process of globalization gutting the American economy. There's no doubt about that. But again, those who architected the idea of globalization realized that it would be tenuous to do so unless all participating players were under one authority. Isn't that interesting? But after globalization came, of course, COVID-19. I was shocked to see how fast the world united under the World Health Organization. Were you? This organization existed in the United Nations for a time such as this, and they, uh, they proved to be absolutely inept, didn't they? Oh, and by the way, if you haven't read this week, they have now said lockdowns are not the way to counter the spread of the coronavirus that the cost economically and mentally to the individual is too severe. I think we had a president that once said that the cure can't be worse than the disease. I think I heard that somewhere. The World Health Organization has contradicted themselves so many times throughout this process that no one knows what to believe from them any longer. When this all began, everyone rebuked Sweden for the manner in which they conducted themselves, but their scientists said, no, we don't believe that this is the way to go. They went another way, and the coronavirus is almost non-existent in that country today. And yet, when we are told by our politicians that they are following the science, unfortunately, the science that only works with their narrative, correct? Because our governor has already stated in the Chicago Tribune Friday that he is once again looking to lock down the state because of the rise of coronavirus. Out of the coronavirus came Agenda 2030, where the United Nations set forward an agenda, what they call sustainable development and goals. And their agenda is this, to wipe out poverty, to end hunger, good health and well-being for everybody, quality education, gender equality, clean water and sanitation, affordable and clean energy, decent work economy and growth, industry, innovation and manufacturing, required uh, reduced inequities, sustainable cities and communities, responsible consumption, climate action, helping the fish below, the life on land, peace, justice, and a strong institution, and partnerships for goals, for the goals. This is the agenda that the United Nations wants to put forward again 
under the same precedent. There has to be an individual leader leading in these things. Now, I don't know if we would disagree with any of these individual components, but put together, this becomes the blueprint for the unification of our world. Agenda 2030. Another very interesting one, and if I may bring to your attention, of course, is the Great Reset from the World Economy Forum in Davos, Switzerland. These are individuals that are gathering in Davos, Switzerland. They did in 2020. They're going to do so again in 2021. Individuals like George Soros, individuals like Bill Gates, Microsoft, another large corporation, every large bank in the world is part of this global reset, what they call the Great Reset. If I may, I'd just like to read a couple things from their website because it is very interesting to me. Notice this, if you will. The COVID-19 crisis and the political, economic, and social disruption it has caused is fundamentally changing the tradition, traditional context for a decision-making. The inconsistencies, inadequacies, inadequacies excuse me, and contradictions of multiple systems, from health and financial to energy and education, are more exposed than ever amidst the global context of concern for lives, livelihood, and the planet. They're saying that a multi-system no longer works. That's what they're saying. Leaders find themselves at a historic crossroads, managing short-term pressures against medium and long-term uncertainties. They see this as an opportunity, as we have now entered uh, a unique window of opportunity to shape, recover, and this initiative will offer insights to help inform those determining the future state of global relations and the directions of national economies, the priorities of societies, the nature of business models, and the management of global common, uh, commonalities. Drawing from the vision and vast expertise of the leaders engaged, such as, of course, George Soros, Bill Gates, and others, expertise of these leaders engaged across the forum committee, the Great Reset Incentify Initiative excuse me, has set as a set of dimensions to build a new social uh, construct that honors the dignity of every human being. Wow. Now, i got to be honest with you. I don't know if it will be the coronavirus or another pandemic I don't know if it'll be globalization. I don't know if it'll be climate change. I don't know if it'll be the Great Recess or if it'll be Agenda 2030. But let me ask you a question. The question is not to identify the individual vehicle that will unite the world, but ask the question, does the trend indicate that the world is trying to be united? And it is, without a doubt. As Daniel uttered those words to King Nebuchadnezzar, I believe we now sit at the precipice of the fulfillment of these words. And whatever it is that God is going to use to unite this world, to bring about the rise of the Antichrist, it is all according to His purposes. 
Can you not see the Antichrist capitalizing on any one of these various systems as his infrastructure into controlling the political, the economic, and the military aspects of this world? And then in his supernatural ability, he then convinces the religious of this world that he is something more than a man, demanding their allegiance requiring that they worship him as God as he sets up his his image in the temple of God there in Jerusalem. That no one can buy or sell unless they are given a mark on their hand or on their head. Wouldn't it be interesting if we also had that technology to do that today? Oh, by the way, we do. Isn't it interesting that one of the things that the Doctors initially suggested in the pandemic response was that we should abandon the use of currency because it changes hands so often and spreads the virus. And now we see that contact contagions are very low and rare altogether. So you can stop washing your hands. If you've gotten down to the bone, you can stop. But we don't know what to believe anymore, do we? But we as Christians have an advantage. We have God's Word. And regardless of what God uses or what man uh, comes up with and schemes and tries to bring about, little do they know that they are all working for the sovereignty of God. And in the end, let me remind you, we win. We win. For that day we shall return with him not riding a donkey into the city of Jerusalem but returning to this earth on a white horse and establishing his kingdom the stone striking the feet of that great statue John said it best best Maranatha Lord Jesus come quickly